Good evening. It is great to have you here. I know I've got a very helpful message for at least one of you. Um, because one of you has a white Toyota Camry with a safety is my concerns bumper sticker. And if that's you, your lights are on. And you might want to go check that. So I know at least your life will be impacted tonight. Um, really glad that you're here. And uh, look at your neighbor and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Now, look at your other neighbors so they don't feel left out. Tonight, um, I want to start off by asking this question. We were kind of launched into this new series. I'll do a quick recap on that. But first off, how many of you remember or ever had or have seen or touched a Polaroid camera? Okay, a few of you. How many of you have never seen, touched, or used a Polaroid camera? Just a couple. Okay, good. Well, we're not quite out of that generation. But how many of you have Instagram? Okay, raise your hand if you have Instagram. It's okay. You're allowed to. Um, Instagram is kind of like the new digital Polaroid camera, but cooler because you can actually do like little filters and, and things. Maybe if you were on there, you know, Element City Church is on there. and We kind of have post some of our uh, volunteers that we want to highlight because we love our volunteers. You highlight different things that are going on. And Instagram pictures are kind of like the new fad, right? So much so that Facebook, 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 okay, um, Facebook decided to buy it, right? Because they're like, hey, this is going to catch on and it's going to go and it's going to have a lot of momentum to it. And, and they're smart. And so they figured it out and they said, hey, we're going to invest into this thing and it's going to do amazingly well. And it has. And people use it all the time. In fact, we live in a culture in which pictures sometimes give a message that's even better than words, right? Now, I've got a few pictures for you, but I'm going to use words tonight because here's what I want us to see. Tonight, I want us to see three Instagram pictures from Jesus's life, okay? I don't know if Jesus had Instagram. I think he would have been the guy that invented it if it was around back then. But I want to look at three pictures from his life because we started this series called No Other Name, that there is no other name on the face of this planet that either creates strife and conflict or is a a dispenser of grace and hope than the name of Jesus. And you you can't go anywhere without mentioning his name and you will get a non-neutral reaction. There will be one reaction or the other. Some people despise that and they push back against that and say, no, I don't really need that. That's your thing and that's what you live by. Or other people who say, this this changed my life. And there, there's nowhere kind of in the middle. You can't be neutral about this name. And we said, we're going to walk through the gospel of Mark. And we began that this last week. And we kind of, so I, I want to invite you on this journey to kind of go with us through Easter and kind of say this notion of how do we look into this life of Jesus and what does his name really have to say about life? What does his life, his message, and what he was about say about your life and about my life and how it's to impact and shape and change us? Because he's not neutral. This is way more than just a name. In fact, the Bible kind of says that there is no other name. Above his. There's no other name that has an impact like his. And so that we started off looking at the Gospel of Mark. We were challenged by this very first message from Jesus as he said, I want the time has come. Remember? The time has come. It's time for you to, to kind of turn back. The kingdom is at hand. And we gave away a Twix bar, right? Because the cool thing is it was at hand. It was available to anybody in here that could take it. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's my, my way of life. If you want to have life with God, it's at hand. You can take it. 
It's available. Repent and believe this good news. And we send good news is way better than good advice. Because good advice is something you have to act on. It's something that you have to do. But good news is way better. In fact, the gospel, the gospel is this announcement of something that has happened in history. Something that's been done for you, and it changes your status forever. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's why there's a difference between Christianity and religion. And maybe you're here just investigating the whole idea of Christianity, the whole idea of Jesus. And if you're here, maybe getting back into church for the first time, I want to tell you, I am super proud of you. And I mean that. Because I know it takes guts to go on a spiritual journey. And I know when you're struggling with doubt and you're struggling with kind of some hesitation in that, I think and our hope and our prayer has been that Element City Church might be a place and some, create some space for you to wrestle with that. Because we truly believe there is no other name. And we're not going to force that down anyone's throat because here's what our mission is. We're inviting people into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. An invitation is right here. It's at hand. And it's not forced on anybody. It's simply saying maybe there's some truth here that can in- penetrate and infiltrate and, and change and shape your life that's impacted many others' lives. That there is no other name. And we looked at this idea that receivers of good news are to be givers of good news. That was the challenge. We don't give people good advice. We give people good news that something happened in history. And when that happened, it made available to you and I a good news and a gospel that's available to you and me in the life of Jesus that's way different than anything else. I want to look at these pictures in the Gospel of Mark. And so if you have your Bible, uh, or if you have your smartphone, you can go to uh, Version. It's a free Bible app, and I do all my sermon notes and stuff in there, and you can kind of go back to it throughout the week. All the sermon and all the message stuff and all the scripture passages that we're going to look at are on there, and I'll trust you're looking at that and not Flappy Bird. Okay, so this first Instagram picture, right, is this picture that's only set the scene. Remember when we ended last week, All these crowds of people were coming around Jesus because Jesus was teaching with an authority that none of the religious leaders of the day taught with. There was something about what he was saying and the way he was saying it that was captivating to people. And though he was healing people. And so it says toward the the end of chapter 1 in in the Gospel of Mark that everybody was bringing everyone from within the city who had ailments and needed healing and needed some hope. They were bringing them to Jesus and Jesus was ministering to them and changing their lives physically. Reality was changing for people. And it's in the middle of that crowd, that scene. How many of you have ever been in a giant crowd before, right? Maybe leaving a ball game or something. And it's a crowd of people. It has this capacity to it to kind of stir up emotion and you feed off that, right? You get excited about being in a crowd. Maybe you've been to a concert and there's a lot of excitement and adrenaline gets pumping and there's all this kind of stuff. And I want you to see what Jesus does because friends, I think there's a pattern here. In fact, tonight is I want us to look at a life of with, okay? So a life of with, and there's three aspects of this. A life of with begins of spending time with the Father. Here's what Jesus does in verse 35 of chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now think about that. Jesus has got this huge crowd. All this adrenaline, all this energy that was coming from that, all the healings that he had been taking place, all the things that he had been doing, all the commotion. Can anyone identify with that? Can anyone identify with just commotion and buzz in life? Is that your life? 
because that's mine. And in the midst of all of this commotion, Jesus gets up, leaves that scene, goes off, and he spends time with the Father in solitude and prayer. Now, what does that have to do with your life? What does that have to do with mine? I want you to see a pattern in the life of Jesus. In fact, if you're going to memorize one verse, uh, Luke 5.16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to be alone with the Father. Some of you have grown up with a tradition that if you don't spend 30 minutes in a quiet time with just you and God reading the Scripture and praying, that your whole day is shot and God is actually going to have bad things happen to you because you didn't spend time with Him. The Bible never says that, okay? So don't tell people that because it's not true. Don't believe that because that's not true. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus, even Jesus, doesn't. we don't see in the Scriptures where it says every day for 30 minutes he spent time in solitude and prayer. What we see is a pattern in Jesus' life that Jesus often withdrew to be alone in prayer with the Father. So let me simply ask you, if it was important for Jesus to spend solitude time in prayer with the Father, how many of you think it may be important for you? Yeah. Friends, so many times, I think, in church, we come to church, we come to this service, and we go, okay, this is going to be my refueling spot. And it is that, okay? We want this gathering to be a place that really does refuel you for your week, but it's not enough if that's all you're getting. So I want to invite you to look at the life of Jesus and begin taking steps, your own next steps, to create this kind of pattern in your life. And it's going to look different for you in your 20s than it will in your 30s and in your 40s and in different seasons of life. How many of you are single moms? Okay. Do you think it may look different to have solitude and prayer time with a single mom than it will for some of you who are college students? The answer would be yes. Okay. If you're a single mom... You pray for solitude, right? You hardly ever get it. Seize it when you can. It may be five-minute windows in that season of life, but seize it. It may be opportunities just for you to say, okay, I'm going to catch my breath and just chill. Because here's what we see in the life of Jesus. Ministry and life is never-ending. True? Your life will never slow down unless you slow it down. That's the truth. And Jesus often had this pattern of slowing down. Why? Because it's in slowing down and in solitude and in prayer with the Father and connecting with Him that you can actually hear His steady, strong, clear voice over the murmuring of so many others. And we live in a culture that murmurs, right? We live in a culture of murmuring voices telling you what to do, how to do it, where you should be, all those things. And friends, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, and I trust that you maybe do, or at least you're investigating that, then maybe there's some patterns here that we need to see. This first picture is this one of stillness, of being with the Father. Because when I can hear His steady, clear voice above the murmuring of others, there brings a clarity to this. Jesus is having this time with the Father, Peter, Goes looking for him, right? Simon Peter goes looking. The disciples go looking for him. And what did they say to him? Jesus, where are you at? Like, all the people are looking for you. What are you doing out here? And Jesus, the very next words out of his mouth are this. Uh, we have to leave and go to other cities because that's why I've come. 
Now, at first, what you and I would probably see is, Jesus, you have an instant ministry. Like, there are hundreds of people right there waiting for you. Like, they've come to you. And Jesus says, no, that's not my mission. My mission is to go and let other people hear about this truth. It helps us bring this clarity. Jesus is more concerned in the quality of response to him than the quantity of those gathered around him. Do you hear that? Jesus is more concerned and interested in the quality of response to him than the quantity of the crowd around him. There's always this, when you live on mission, friends, you have a mission that God has for you. And if you don't seize opportunities to listen for the steady, clear voice of God amongst the murmuring of many others, you'll miss the opportunity he has for you. And it may not always be in the crowd, in the commotion. It may be elsewhere. And so Jesus sets off with his disciples, and he goes throughout the whole region of Galilee, right? And he's preaching about what? The good news. Not good advice. There's good news available. The kingdom is here. The time has come. And a few weeks kind of go by, and he circles back around. And I want you just to kind of get to this second Instagram kind of moment with Jesus. So the first is being still with God. That's important for us to begin to pattern that, to begin to seize that and and take advantage of that in our own life. The second one is this. It's important for us to be people who are with God on mission with him. It's important to be people who are with the Father, living on mission with him. And that's what we begin to see in this next story. And in chapter 2, it kind of starts off with, he kind of comes back into this region of Capernaum, right? And he's there, and he's so crowded in this one house. He goes to this house, and he begins to teach, and it's so crowded around there that people are kind of pushed in and smushed in. Anyone ever been to a crowded house party, right? Okay, that's what's going on. People are stinking, okay, because they're like, they're in close. They're all around, and people are there, but there's one that's coming that won't have a place in that house, but gets it. In fact, what happens is... Hold on a second. What happens is... I was trying to think of a modern-day example, right? So, there's this guy. He's got four friends, right? And these four friends show up, and they've got this guy on a mat. Now, how many of you travel around with a mat? Maybe a friend named Matt, but I don't really see people hanging out on a mat, okay? Even downtown, like where there's some people that are maybe begging or so, you don't really see a mat. And, and I want you to kind of see what's going on in this story. So here it is. Jesus is at this house, and he's teaching, right? He's back in this place. People have gathered around. and super crowded. But people know he's there. And four friends, they say, we know our buddy. And our buddy is, is lame, and not lame in the lame sense, but lame like he can't walk, right? He's on a mat. He begs for a living. There's no way that he'll be ever able to get to Jesus, but we, we're going to get him to Jesus. And so they pick him up, and they carry him to this house. They get to the house, and people are crowded, not just in the entryway of the house, but the whole way through. They're kind of looking through and peering through, and they really can't even see how to get back to him. And so they crawl on the wall up to the roof, right? And here's what you've got to understand. This guy lives on a mat. That's his existence. That's what he knows. 
In fact, I don't know if you've ever spent time on one of these boards. Anyone ever been in an accident and spent some time on one of these? Here's what you know. You are limited to this space when you are strapped down and you are on it on the accident scene, right? There is no moving. There is no, hey, I forgot my hairbrush in the car. I'm going to go get it. No. You are limited to this space. You are stuck right here in the Greek. Literally what it says is that he was loosed on one side. That literally had no, maybe a seizure, whatever. Uh, we don't know if he was born that way. We don't know if he fell and got that way. We don't know the background of the, what we do know. that He can't move. He has limitations to what he can do and what he can experience in life. That's all he knows. So the only way he's going to get to Jesus is not by himself, but because he has good buddies in life who are in his corner. And these four friends do something radical. They have no concern for themselves. They have no concern for the reputation. They climb on top of a roof. Now, we have tiled roofs. We have stucco roofs. We have, you know, we have kind of roofs that are hard to get through. But back then, in the first century, these are roofs that are tarred, maybe. Maybe have some mud on it, but they are covered over. And you could break your way through it. And so these guys get on the roof with him. Can you imagine being that dude on the mat? And your friends have picked you up and carried you maybe a mile to get to this house, right? And then you get to the house and it's like completely packed. And what are you thinking? Bummer. I heard about this Jesus guy. Like he heals people. I'm one of the people. I need healing. And you get there and it's so crowded and you're probably bummed. You're like, I've been waiting for this moment. And you probably feel left out. And then your buddies look at you and go, hey, we're going vertical. What? And they get on the wall and they probably prop you on the wall and you're balancing on the wall. And they're like, hey, don't move. <laughs> I don't usually move. And so like you're there, right? And you're maybe teetering on the wall. They get you up on the roof and you're like, how am I going to get down? I can't move. I'm on my mat. This is my life. This is my limitation. This is all I know. And then you watch your buddy start breaking through someone's roof and you start talking to them. Do you even know whose house this is? No. Okay, we're getting you to Jesus. That's what we came to do. That's what we're doing. And they start peeling away this roof. Now, think about it. Jesus is inside, right? He's teaching, probably talking about some great kingdom things and teaching people about the way of, of, the way of God and how to have life with God and what does that mean and what does that look. And all of a sudden, these dust particles start coming down, right? Can you imagine that? And Jesus, this is the Instagram moment. As he looks up, and the roof is kind of parted, and there's now there, there's a dude being lowered down on a mat. Maybe something like this. Lowered down in front of you. Snap a picture. If you were Jesus, what would you do in this moment? This fascinates me. Because Jesus does something so radically different than what you and what I would probably do. We all would probably go, hey, wow, that's interesting. That doesn't happen every day. I don't know how you'd acknowledge it. You'd have to, because now it's in front of everybody who's in this crowded room, and he's suspended there, maybe being lowered down to the ground. People on the ground are actually moving out of the way because they're like, what is going on? And they move out of the way. He gets lowered down, and Jesus' first words, can I read them to you? When Jesus saw their faith, this is verse 5, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, 
probably wouldn't have led with that line. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, I don't know if you dropped your contacts today, but there's a paralyzed guy, like, right in front of you. And what he's probably wanting is what everybody in the crowd a few days ago wanted. I don't know, healing, maybe. My son, your sins are forgiven. What? Jesus, I, I don't... I don't see the disconnect here that, that you're kind of making and, and I'm not quite understanding. You're forgiving sins. What? And here's what you got to know. Jesus is very concerned about your circumstances. But Jesus primarily and most prominently is concerned with your condition. And what Jesus starts with is if you're going to come to me for healing, and I recognize that's why you're coming. I want you to know that just asking for healing of your circumstances isn't deep enough. It isn't deep enough. And I want you to know your sins are forgiven. Your condition is forever changed. Why? Because I'm a giver of good news, not good advice. And so Jesus changes his heart condition in that moment. Now, what's interesting is in this crowded house, not just fans of Jesus, not just followers of Jesus, but pr probably what the text kind of tells us is there's some people that have some serious concerns about Jesus, some religious leaders of the day. In fact, when Jesus says this, son, my son, your sins are forgiven, something switches in their mind. And they begin thinking to themselves, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, there's only one person that can forgive sins, and that's God. And you're not it. You're Jesus. We can see you right here. This is a radical statement, what Jesus is saying. And they begin having these thoughts in their minds and listen to what the text goes on to say. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. <laughs> that should scare all of us. Immediately, Jesus knows what we're thinking. Listen, Jesus knows what you're thinking, and he actually likes you and loves you anyway. That's some powerful truth for me. That's good news, not just good advice. That's the gospel. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man... The Son of Man is a phrase borrowed from the book of Daniel that Jesus uses to refer to himself. You can read a lot about it in Daniel chapter 7. I'll let you do that if you want. But the Son of Man is a title that Jesus gives himself. And he's using that title very specifically. And he's saying there's a lot to it, and I don't have time to get into it. But there is something very significant to this title. And he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic man, and he says, stand up and walk. And that dude stood up and walked out of that house, stepping over all the people who were crowded in, in his way. Could you imagine being there? Could you imagine being there? Friends, Jesus has enough grace to heal our broken condition and enough power to heal our broken circumstances. 
He looked at this man who understood limitations. And he said, I understand your circumstances. I understand the limitations that come with that. And here's what I know. The reason he started with healing his condition is because that's the deeper issue. So many of us, we get into limited situations and limited circumstances, and what we want is a wish, right? I wish life would be different. And as soon as I get that wish, then life will be different. But here's what Jesus knows. That's not true. Even if you were to be granted your wish, even if his very first sentence would be, hey, stand up and walk, he would have what he wished he could have. And in just a few more days, the euphoria of that would go away, and there would be deeper longings of the human heart, right? Friends, don't make your wish a savior. It's not strong enough to be that. Don't make a wish that you have in life. I wish for a relationship. I wish for a new job. I wish for whatever it may be. If you put all of your hope in that wish coming true, you are making God and asking God to be a genie. And listen, that is limited. Genies give you how many what wishes? Three. That's not enough for you. You may think it's enough for you, but it's not enough for the deepest longings of the human heart. And Jesus says, I'm here to be your savior. Not your genie. There's some deeper things here. And so he points to this reality that we are all separated from God. That there is no wish or there is no thing that will fully satisfy the human heart. And the longings of our soul, in wishes and in wants, he knows that the only way those longings and, and those deepest desires of the human soul get met is in him. And so in this moment, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your condition is forever changed. Now, so that you may know that I have the power to do that and the grace to do that and the forgiveness to do that, stand up and walk. We'll change your circumstance at the same time because I have enough power to do that. But I'm I'm here about both. Jesus is living on mission with the Father. The gospel is good news that happened. And it's good news for people who are wandering, who are stuck, and who are far from God and without a relationship with Him on their own human effort. And the only way to have life with God is through faith. And the only way to have that faith is to be forgiven. And Jesus knows that that's the deepest issue. That's the biggest condition that needs changed in the human life. And He says, that's what I've come. I've come to seek and save what? That which was lost. That's the mission of God. Circumstances, that's important. That matters to God. It's not that he ignores that, but that's not the primary thing. The deepest parts of our heart and our longings and our desires. Jesus doesn't ignore our realities of our circumstances, but he wants to deal with the issue of our condition and our heart condition. He wants to bring life and breathe life into that. Don't make your wish into your Savior. It's not strong enough. You need Him to be your Savior. We're to live with the Father on mission. He goes on. um, I love how this little part ends. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. No, duh. We've never seen anything like this. This guy charged 
changes the condition of people and the circumstances of people. And he's got enough grace and power to do both. There's something about this Jesus, friend. Now, you may be sitting here going, I will, <laughs> okay, preacher dude. Um, that's a lot for me to take in. You're, you're wanting me to believe that. Yeah, yeah. And you may not be there. That's okay. Just don't block it out. Here's what I do know about you. You have wishes in life. You have dreams. You have desires. And my only caution to you is if you make that the vein and the aim of your entire life, you will wake up one day longing for something more. And my hunch is that you've already felt that in some ways. And so maybe this guy, Jesus, has something a little bit more to offer. So just keep looking into his life. Jesus says you need to spend time with the Father. He's modeling that. You need to be with the Father on mission to bring people back to him. And not only that, but you need to be with the people the Father loves. There's another story, this third picture that goes on. And Matthew is there. Matthew is the tax collector of the day. He'd be like an IRS agent, okay? Nobody likes those guys. If you are one, sorry. Um, but no one likes you in your job. You may be a great person outside of your job, but in your job, no one likes you, okay? So the tax collectors of the day, well, they were kind of like that. They worked for Rome. Rome was oppressing the Jewish people, right? And so if you work for the enemy, that doesn't win you friends, right? In fact, you're probably friends with people that no one else wants to be friends with. Other tax collectors, other uh, people that maybe have a, a, a reputation, so to speak, right? Who are on the outside looking in. Who are carrying some baggage, maybe, in their own life. And so Jesus is walking one day and he, he says to Matthew, you come follow me. He calls Matthew to be one of his disciples, one of his closest followers. And Matthew leaves it all. He gives up his job. He walks away from the power and the wealth that he would have had because he had some deep longings in his heart. And he knew the limitations of the life he was in and the circumstances that surrounded him. And even him, even he at that moment said, there's got to be something more. And so he leaves to go follow Jesus, right? His life has completely changed. Not only his condition, but his circumstances begin to change. But he loves the people that he's been friends with. And so he decides to throw this party and invite Jesus. So this third picture is Jesus at a house party. Okay, this is pretty sweet. Jesus loves house parties. So Jesus goes to this house party, right? And it's this house party of people that probably you and I may not hang around. Because this is Matthew, after all. And who's his closest friends? Probably the people on the outside looking in, right? And so he's got this, he's got this house party going on. In fact, it even says literally in the text that these are prostitutes and other tax collectors. These are people who are probably left behind or, or walked over in society's eyes, right? But Matthew's there, and, and you know where Jesus shows up? At the house party. And he's having a good time. And he's hanging out with people. Here's the third picture. Friends, we need to be people who live life with those the Father loves. See, the religious leaders of the day, they looked at that house party scene, and they even said to his disciples, why does your rabbi, why does Jesus eat with people like that? Why? Now, you have to understand the religious heart of the day. It had a vantage point. It had a viewpoint that it lived by. 
God is holy and he is set apart. And in order for him to like me, then I've got to be holy and I've got to be set apart. I've got to view people as them and me as me. And I don't hang out with them because they pollute me. And so in that moment, that's the tension that the religious leaders of the day lived by. But I want you to see Jesus didn't see it that way. He just didn't see life that way. In fact, he loved to hang out with people. And he didn't put people in a category of them and us. He just said these are people who the Father loves. And so therefore, I'm going to hang out there. Because I want them to know that God doesn't avoid them. God actually wants to hang out among them. Do you hear this, church? This is the message for the church today. Hear me. This is the message for me today, for you today. The church needs to have the vantage point of Jesus and that you need to spend time with those the Father loves. Does that mean you have to be like everybody? No. But you better be among everybody. Because Jesus doesn't avoid people. He hangs out among them. And it's in this tension of this moment that Jesus says, I think one of the most powerful verses early on in the Gospel of Mark, he says this, verse 17, chapter 2, the the disciples have been asked, why does your teacher hang out with those people, those tax collectors, those sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've come to hang out among people who understand that they're not all that. And they haven't arrived. And they can't maybe do it on their own. But those of you who think you're well and think you're healthy, well, then you don't look for a doctor. You think you're healthy. You think you do it all well. And Jesus says, I've come to seek and save those who realize their limitations, who understand they can't do it all on their own. And they're tired of trying. And Jesus says, I've come for them. And so I'm going to hang around. And so I don't know what sticks out to you in that notion. You know, I love um, the friends of that guy we looked at. Jesus just sees things differently as you look through this text, as you look through just the vantage point. See, we gather as the church to celebrate and to worship. But we scatter to go be the church. That's our mission. As we live on mission with God, we live among. We live with. And we live with the people the Father loves. The movement of Jesus, his church, is a functioning hospital for the hurting. It was never meant to be a scheduled or a secluded sanctuary for the saints. The church is a hospital for the hurting. And friends, we are the church. Not a building. It's not a place. We, we love this place. We're grateful to gather here, but you are the church. Not your seat. Not the bricks and mortar of this. We are the church. And we need to live with the same vantage point that Jesus had. Where we live with the Father. We have pattern of that in our life. Where we live with the Father on mission. 
on God's mission, not our agenda all the time, but on mission with him to see the world the way he says, to interact and to live with the gifts and talents and abilities and callings that he's put within us. And we need to live with and among the people the Father loves. Not just always secluding to ourselves, but saying, I want to be with those the Father loves. They need to know that God loves them. That God loves people and wants to have a relationship with them. Do you kind of see these three pictures beginning to emerge? There's some power here. And here's my, my invitation, my take home, if you want. An application is very simply this. Which with is for you? Which with is God stirring in your heart? How are you doing at a patterning? This, and having this pattern, this habit in life where you're spending time with the Father in solitude and prayer, listening to His steady, clear voice over the murmuring of so many others. How are you doing in that? If God kind of you know, stirred your heart with that, what does that begin to look like to take steps this week to say, how do I make that more of a pattern in my life? And what would that look like for my season of life? I want to invite you, um, if that's you, I'm going to do a, a reading plan here for Lent, okay? So Lent is like the 40 days before Easter. And I'm going to post this on the, the blog on Element City Church uh, tomorrow, okay? There's just a simple reading plan. Uh, version. we use that for notes and stuff. There's tons of Bible reading plans on there. And I want to invite you to maybe look at that and to kind of say, hey, I'll sign up for that. It comes right to your phone. You just follow along. And you take some time, seize 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever that may be, to start carving out some solitude time. What about the second one? To spend time with the Father on mission. Listen, your life is to be on mission with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are on mission with Him every single Monday, every single Tuesday, every single Thursday, Wednesday too, and Friday, Saturday. You see how it works? All the time. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. So how can you live on mission with God to see people, to interact, and to help bring them this good news? Receivers of good news are to be givers of good news. Not good advice, good news. I mean, the third one, how do, we, how do we begin to spend time with those the Father loves? What does that look like in your life? Let me ask you, if you are here and you are going to four Bible studies a week, stop it. I mean it. Stop it. The church is a hospital for the hurting. It's not meant to be secluded with just a sanctuary of people that, that, that call him. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know people who are far from God. I'm all for Bible studies. I want you connected in the community. But if you're connected like every day of the week in that, please stop. Because you are not becoming the person Jesus wants you to be. Because you are missing out on the beauty of loving people who are maybe far from him. The way he would. And the way he does. And he's inviting you to partake in that. To partner with him. So which of those three withs kind of stirs your heart? I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And uh, I'm going to say a little prayer for us in a moment. We're going to move into a time of communion and a couple worship songs. And if you're new here, we just we do this kind of every week. And we create some space, maybe for you to process some of the stuff we wrestled with, some of the things we're learning about. And this series, I mean, there is no other name than this name of Jesus. There is no other power that we are to live by. And maybe you're here tonight and you just, you're sitting here and you're like, God, one of those stuck out to me. Which one? What are you going to do with that this week? Is it with the Father? Is it with the Father on mission? 
Or is it with those the Father loves? So Father, I pray for each of us. God, each of us has limited circumstances at times where we feel like we can't do anything. And it's sure awesome to have people who are in your corner who come alongside. God, we want that. We want to create e-groups and community connections here where people feel like they're not doing life alone, that they don't stand alone. So maybe for some of us, the next step is just to get plugged into community. Maybe for some of us, it's to say, God, I need to create a pattern that's outside of Sunday and just spending time with you. Maybe for some of us, it's, I just need to be around some people that you love, God, that I'm not connected with. I've spent so much time kind of secluding myself that I'm not being salt and light into the world in which you planted me. Father, we remember that the only reason we can know about you and the only reason we can see you is because Jesus left heaven to come be with and among us. That his life and his death and his resurrection, most importantly, is what the good news is all about. Not good advice, but good news that's for us. And we celebrate that in communion. We remember his body and his blood given for us. And this week, would you stir our hearts in these couple songs to worship you and to take our next step with you this week. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.